Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. I'm so excited today. It's Fail Forward Friday, and if you have not heard a Fail Forward Friday episode yet, let me tell you what it's all about. Failure here is in quotes. So many of us have had moments in our lives where we felt like failures, or we felt like we had a failure of some kind, and little did they, little did we know, I should say, that that moment was going to be a catalyst for future success, not simply getting back to maybe where we were as an athlete or getting back to a performance that we've had in the past, but going way past that. And I am so excited to have two people on the show who are just such great people and some of the best athletes in the country. We got Jared Ward and Matty Alm. Man, I'll tell you what, they're just two of the best. That's for sure. Honestly, they are respectively one of the best male and female runners in the country, and it's just such a pleasure to have them here on the show. Before we get into it, I want to give a huge shout out to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode. Actually, all Fail Forward Friday episodes in 2021. Inside Tracker measures 43 different biomarkers to make sure that you can be the best athlete that you can be. The kind of stuff that you're not going to be able to see in the mirror or on a scale. We're talking about, you know, whether it's testosterone, ferritin, vitamin D, your whole you know, iron panel, and so many other things, things that affect runners on a daily basis, not just amateur runners, but pro runners as well. And one of the things is you want to make sure you're doing this a couple times a year, preferably three or four times a year. That way you're setting a baseline for what works well for you when you're feeling great and how you're feeling maybe in a down moment, and then compare and contrast the two to make sure that you are on point and where you need to be. Go to insidetracker.com forward slash rambling runner today to save 25% on their entire store. That's right, 25%. That is That can be a savings of hundreds of dollars, and it's completely and totally worth it. Inside Tracker works with a lot of professional runners and for good reason. So insidetracker.com forward slash rambling runner today. Now let's get into it with Jared Ward and Maddie Um. All right, here we are. Jared Ward is here for Fail Forward Friday. Speaking of failure, I just had to redo that because I couldn't even spit it out. But Jared Ward is here nonetheless. Jared, thank you so much for joining us for this segment. Hey, man, it's so good to be hanging out with you again, Matt. Just feels like, you know, things are coming back together in the world and uh, we're doing a podcast again. So this is great. There you go. For people who are maybe not aware, Jared and I used to talk all the time during season one of <laughs> Road to the Trials. Back then we called it Road to the Olympic Trials. Um, that was before I realized I didn't have a trademark on the word Olympic. That has now been taken out of the title. Nevertheless, that was a lot of fun. It was a really good experience talking to you basically once a month, which was great. And I'm so excited to hear from you again. So Jared, let's dive in to the setback or failure in quotes that you experienced early on in your life. Hey, man, you know, we could do this recording probably 80 times and have a different failure each time. You know, I it's uh, it's crazy to think about you know, how many times we, uh, at least me, how many times I'm looking at my life and thinking, oh man, I messed that up. We talked to the road to the road to the trials, right? Not the Olympic trials, the road to the trials. Um, man, that didn't end quite how I hoped it would. 
So, you know, I picked myself back up after that. And, uh, but no, I'm, ex- I'm excited to, to rewind a little bit further and talk a little bit about college and coming out of college and transition to professional running today. All right. Well, let's do it. What, what, what do you got for us? So, you know, I finished college um, 2014. Uh, 2013, I ran, rewind a little bit, I ran my first marathon in fall of 2013. I, I didn't have cross-country eligibility for that fall until at the very end, then I, I, I did get it back. And so there's, a, there's another story there. But I ran a marathon in the fall before coming back to track uh, 2014 spring. And after running my first marathon, you know, turning up volume on my long runs, my training had changed. I was running better than I'd ever run before. And track, indoor track went really well. I finished fourth in the, in the 5K and fourth in the 3K, both distances. That was, oh. that was my diploma that just fell off the wall. <laughs> okay. it, knew, it knew you were talking about college. It's like, all right, failure Fridays about college. The diploma's coming off the wall. <laughs> diploma's gone. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So we, you know, my, my indoor season went well. Those are both short distances for me. And so to finish, um, to finish fourth in indoor track in the D1 NCAAs was big. And, um, and then I came into outdoor track just really ready for the 10K, you know, my, my event. Training continued to go really, really well. And then nine days before regionals, the qualifier meet, the NCAA qualifier meet for NCAA finals, 90s before regionals, we're doing this workout on the track that I think is kind of fun when I'm fit, and I think it's super not fun when I'm not fit. Um, but Coach Eyestone has me do uh, two to three miles on the track, but every 200 meters I alternate with going 30 seconds for 200, which is which feels really fast. This is a milers pace, and then back to 40 seconds for the 200, which isn't it's slower than marathon pace, but it's still fast coming off of a fast 30. And so we call it 30 forties and we do 30 forties by two miles or 10 laps, or sometimes just a few more, depending on how coach feels like I'm looking. And we're in the middle of this workout. I think I'm in the sixth lap on the fast 200. And I felt my lower leg just like, almost like a crack. I felt it and it hurt. It was sharp, but you know, and again, this is, this is, you know, a, a poor example of athlete mind. I thought, well, I've got to finish the workout. So I just kept running. Okay. So it, it hurt, but I finished running and coach had said for this workout, he said, let's go two miles, at least two miles. And then we'll decide after that, if we're going more. So I finished that loop and I had two more laps. And I finished the last, the lap at eight laps where coach, and I think coach said, do you want to keep going as I came through? And I kept going, but straight to the trainer's table, like 30 <laughs> feet after the finish line. I, and I laid on his table and I said, Judd, something's wrong with my leg. Judd was my trainer. And then coach, I still came over a little bit after and he's like, what's going on? And, and Judd's like, he's got a lot of pain right here. We need to get him back in for an x-ray. We went at, back into the athletic training room at BYU. They popped an x-ray right there. And we could see just this little tiny fracture in my fibula in my lower leg. Okay. So that little, you have two bones going down from your knee to your ankle, right? The, the tibia is the big one. That's the weight bearing bone. And then the little, the little awkward baby one, that's the fibula. And mine was just on the lower outside portion of that, of that fibula. 
And so we stared at it for a long time. And we talked about everything from MRIs to treatment to regionals is in nine days. What can we do? And ultimately, we were like, well, you know, coach, coach kind of looked at me and he said, Jared, you get to call the shot on this. Okay, you're, you're graduating soon. This is an injury. Right now, it's going to take a few weeks to recover. If it gets worse, it's going to take longer. And you, you want to graduate from college and start running professionally. You had a good marathon. Um, so what do you want to do? And I, I just said, I want to run. I want to figure out how to run. And, and we talked about getting an MRI. And then I said, I don't need an MRI. I already know that there's something wrong with my leg. And I already know that I'm running. So let's just do the most that we can to limp this thing through to get to the race. So, so we started doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, Judd got me this bone stimulator, okay, which, which uh, seemed a little voodoo, but I put it on there and it just stays on and it's supposed to stimulate the bone growth there. And my wife started putting raisins in everything. And I, you know, I was like, babe, what's up with all the raisins? She's like, well, I did some Googling and I guess raisins are good for bone growth. And I was like, well, okay, pile on the raisins. And so I was eating raisins. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't walk on this leg comfortably. So I was in a boot and I would cross train every day. So I was in the pool. I hate the pool. And I was on the exercise bike. I didn't run a step from that workout until we were out in uh, Arkansas at the day before the race, the day before the race, I got on the grass and I ran like two miles really slow. And I was like, coach, I don't know, like this feels like garbage. And, and he just said, well, you know, you decide tomorrow if you want to run. Um, but, um, but you, you don't have to. And I, and I said, no, I want to run. I want to run. It just doesn't feel good. And so I got up the next day and Judd came in and he said, Jared, I got an idea. I'm going to give you a shot of this stuff called Toradol. Oh, and I never had a painkiller oh, like Toradol before, but he's like, he's like, it's okay. We give it to the football players before every game. We just start shooting the football players with this and then they don't hurt until after the game. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so we're going to do Toradol. And so I got to the race uh, in the afternoon, it was an evening race, and I got on Judd's table and he gave me this shot and it took him like 20 seconds to give me this shot once the needle's in because Toradol's like tar. Okay, so it's a thicker needle and he's just pushing it into my arm and I almost passed out receiving this shot. I do not like needles. I don't like shots. And this shot was bad. This is he's giving like, me the heebie-jeebies just listening to the story. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm having trouble. <laughs> Sorry. You know, anyway, it was, it was, um, this was an experience. So I'm laying on his table and he's like, Jared, you almost passed out. I need you to lay on the table for 10 more minutes. And I'm like, okay, Judd. So I lay on the table. And then he's like, okay, you feel like you can get up? And so I got up and I started walking around and I was like, hey, Judd, my leg feels pretty good. I started like, I was standing just on the hurt leg and I was doing like toe raises. And I was like, dude, I can't even feel this. Like I was, I was jogging on the grass two days before and now I'm jumping on the injured leg and I'm like, dude, I can barely feel this. This is great. This is great. You've been holding out on me on this tortoise, but I'm going to run this race. And so I warmed up for the race. I did a full warm up. And I stayed on the grass because I, I didn't want to um, risk it on the track. And then it felt so good that I was like, you know, I'm still going to wear spikes. This race is going to be slow at the start. It's a qualifier race. Um, had guys like Ed Chez in it. And I just needed my wheels at the end for the last couple laps of this 10K. So I still opted to wear spikes but told myself, I'm just going to stay in the back. I'm going to keep it easy. 
And so we got on the track, the gun goes off, we start running, and I thought, ooh, I can feel this on the track at this pace. So I'm in spikes on the track, and I was like, well, I can feel it. And it, it kind of hurts, but it's not killing me. And I thought, I, I think I can do this. And so I kind of kept moving up, and about two miles into the race, I had moved myself into probably about the top 15. I was on the inside of the track, and I just needed to be top 12 at regionals to go to nationals. So I'm not trying to be a hero at regionals. I'm just, I know I'm in the best shape of my life, but I got this bad leg and I just want to get to nationals. That'll buy me two more weeks of rehab. Maybe I can put something together in time for nationals. So I'm keeping it chill. And then the next lap we go around and I take a step on this right leg that's hurt. And I thought, ow, that really hurt. And I took a step on the other leg And then I took one more step on that right leg and was like, nope, that's not going to work. So I stepped onto my left leg and with my left leg, I flung myself onto the pole vault pit mat that was right there (laughs) next to me when I was running onto the mat and landed on the mat. And then I had the thought, what are you doing? And I went to roll over really fast to like hop back on the track and rolling over about sent me on my leg, like the swinging my leg around. And I thought, nope, I am done. And I laid there on that pole vault mat. And Judd, Judd's one of the best trainers I've ever had. Judd comes sprinting over to the outside of the track. And then he sprints across the track as soon as there's a gap, even though people were telling him not to. And he picks me up and he carries me back over to our team area. And he's like, hey man, we tried. And I said, I don't know what's going on, but it doesn't feel right. And so I put my boot back on and went back home to the hotel. And I I still remember it was like 11 o'clock at night that night. And I was like, I haven't showered. I'd just been laying on the couch. My leg hurt. So I got into the, and I, I went over to the shower and I couldn't stand. And so I just laid in the tub. And then I was like, I can't get out of here. (laughs) And I waited until my roommate came home at like midnight. And I was like, Tyler, I need you to come help me out of the tub. He helped me out of the tub. And you know, and then I got my boot back on and when, when my boot was on, it felt a little bit better. But we got home from that race, um, took another x-ray and I broke it all the way through. So the little fracture that was just like a niggle of a fracture, it cracked the rest of the way through my leg, broke broke through that fibula. And um, and it was it was done. Like I was I was done running. That was the end. That is a crazy story. We need to get someone on here who was like right behind you. As you vaulted into the pole vault mat to get, we, we, we've heard Jared Ward's view, story of how, what happened in that event. I'd love to get like the person behind you who was like, I just saw the craziest thing. This dude in front of me just like leaped out of the pole vault pit in the middle of the 10K. What um, is Jared doing? Right. That is crazy. All right. So obviously you'd cracked your leg all the way through, as you mentioned, which is not what you want. And at that point, you mentioned your, your, cross-country season had been taken out, right? Your, the 10K is your event. This is this is the Jared Ward event, not only for this college season, but moving forward. Like you're known as, you know, someone who's big up in endurance, American endurance running, right? The mile, the 3K, that was not your stuff. You were more on the, on the other side of the spectrum. So when you finally get to the realization of like, all right, it's over. I was in the best shape of my life, and now I can't proceed. Once the the the, the flaring up of the leg has dissipated, and you can really dive into the results of what just happened, what was it like for you mentally and emotionally? Well, it, it's like you know, it, 
it's like when you're watching college football and you have your favorite team and you have that running back or that quarterback or that receiver, that wideout, whatever, um, that is bound for the NFL, right? They're, they've had just this season and then they get tackled and the stretcher comes out and carries them off the field and you think, oh no, what's going to happen at the draft? They're injured now. Right? Remember Willis McGahee? Remember Willis McGahee from Miami when his knee went like in four different directions on that one tackle like a month before the draft? It's like that's kind of, you know, the, the the highest profile athletes, right? They get drafted down the line, but they're out for a year and they're no longer the hot stuff on the market, right? You're injured. That's it. And, you know, so I, I didn't have my senior track or senior cross season. I, I did end up being able to run at nationals, but I, I wasn't prepped for it. I had a, I was all American, but not the race that I'd hoped for. I had a really good indoor track, but those were races that are not my strong suit, right? So I was fourth in two races that I was very proud to be fourth in, but those are not my races. The 10 K I was looking at the 10 K thinking, Hey, Ed Chez is in this race and, uh, and he's tough to outkick, but I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm ready to run the best 10K of my life. I, I don't think, I was scared of Ed Chez's kick, but I wasn't scared of anybody in the race going into nationals. And now my leg's broken, I'm watching nationals, and and I get to see the other athletes that I was racing against sign with agents, sign with shoe deals, and I'm at home with a broken leg. Now, I still wanted to continue running. And I, I was fortunate. I, I had one more year of grad school left. So I was going to be at BYU for another year anyways. And I kind of thought, you know, I'm going to keep running and we'll see what happens. Maybe I can bounce back from this. So when I got home, we took the x-ray. The doctor said, yeah, it's broken all the way through. We need to put a cast on this. I said, can you put it, can you put a waterproof cast on? And he said, sure. And so he spun me a waterproof cast and I swam in the pool every day for like two hours. And I, I hate swimming. I, I really love the water. I love boating. I love skiing. I, there's To me, there's nothing quite like a slalom ski on a, a, a lake of glass, smooth glass water, but I don't like swimming for exercise. And so I'm in swimming with my waterproof cast, hating every minute of it. But I thought, you know, I, I've, I'm really fit. And if I want to run this professional life, I got to bounce back quick and get into this fall on the roads and show that I'm a road racer and I'm a marathoner. And I had considered running the the U.S. Championships Marathon in early October, which is three and a half weeks after breaking my leg. And so I thought, I need to get to marathon training. So I swam the crap out of that leg for three weeks. And then I went into the doctor and said, hey, I know you said we need to leave this on for six weeks, but if I promise to wear the boot, except for when I'm biking, will you cut this off? And he said, yeah, sure, but you got to promise to wear the boot. So I wore the boot. I take off the boot when I was next to the exercise bike. I'd bike and then I put the boot back on. And that was a little better because I like biking better than swimming. And I think, you know, I guess one thing that got me through this, you know, was taking my focus back off of what was happening on the track and in the professional world for the other guys that I was racing against and putting it back on me. Okay, what can I do right now? This this situation sucks. I broke my leg when I was in the best shape of my life and I had an opportunity, but I pushed my body too hard and now I have a broken leg. But I can ask for a waterproof cast and I can ask to get that cast off and 
exercise on the bike and I can keep eating raisins and I can, you know, whether or not raisins work, every time I sat down to dinner and there were raisins all over my salad, I thought, man, I am just... I'm growing bones right now. I'm growing bones. And mentally for me, that was huge because instead of just waiting for the world to be better, for my world to be better so that I could start moving forward again, I was trying to find every little thing I could do that was a win. And I think that got me ready to train after I was healthy again. And it kept my mind because because I could do something. Yeah, you certainly learned a lot in terms of like, all right, when things go wrong, what can I do to still put myself in a position to succeed, which is a great skill to have and something that we don't want to practice, but ultimately can be super beneficial because there's there's no way to, to make sure that everything is going to be, you know, perfectly linear and, and, you know, one success leads after another. With that said, what did you learn from the injury experience moving forward? Because you've been known for your longevity and your consistency, and yet your pro career started out with you being injured, in a sense. So what did you learn from the injury perspective? Well, I learned that you can't, you can't just always push through stuff, okay? And, and it's tough in the endurance sport world because, you know, six out of seven days a week, Matt, if you walked up to me and said, hey, Jared, does, does anything ache or hurt on your body? I'm going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right now, right now, my calves a little sore, my feet are a little bit sore, and my quads are tired. And I'm running 110 miles a week, getting ready for a marathon. And so something's going to be sore. But what you learn through experience is that there are some sorenesses and even pain that can be ignored or tabled. Like they're going to get better. When I have knee pain, like patellar tendonitis, I can push through that a little bit as long as I start managing it and taking care of it in the weight room. And it's going to kind of take care of itself for me. That's not the same for everybody. When I have plantar fascia pain, that's something that I need to pay attention to really quick and I need to be on top of. Um, when I have like, and so you start to learn these triggers to where when when this happens, I need to manage pain in this specific way. So certain injuries you can push through and certain ones you can't. And I think it's a little bit different for everybody. And that's where this sport and any endurance sport probably becomes a bit of an art where you learn your body and you learn what you can push through. And now, you know, and and I had fibular pain for about three days before it cracked in that workout. Okay, I could feel that something wasn't quite right, but it was very manageable. It's just a little ache. Okay, it's definitely in my bone, but it's just a little ache. And I'm about to start taping for tapering for nationals. So maybe if I push just a little bit longer, I'll get to rest up. It'll be fine. So, you know, even on that pain, I went on an 18 mile kind of hard Saturday long run before coming back that next week for that next workout. And I've learned that when I have fibular pain, even even tibia pain the same way. I, I, I went through a lot of tibular stress fractures early in running and stress reactions. In fact, if you take an x-ray of my lower leg, it just looks like a bunch of mountain peaks with all the calcium deposits that have grown to heal these stress fractures in in my lower leg bones. And, and I think that's part of what happens too. You know, you're, the amazing thing about our bodies is that you break it and a lot of times it figures out a stronger way to build itself back so that it won't break again. Um, but I've, but I, I learned that, hey, when I have that kind of pain, 
I need to, I need to pay attention to it. And it becomes increasingly important in marathon training because you know, you, you can't just take a break a week off and then come back and have it just pick right back up. Um, there's so much to the consistency. And, um, and so I think it's helped me become a better marathoner. And I was able to come off of that, that swimming and biking into about uh, two and a half-ish months of running into the Twin Cities Marathon and um, was able to stay healthy. And I ran 214, which was my lifetime best. It was my second marathon. And I finished second at that U.S. championship. And so, and, you know, and I, I still remember, I crossed that finish line. I finished second. I was jazzed. Tyler Pinnell won it. I kind of wanted to win, but I was pretty excited to have finished second. Um, if, if you'd have said deal or no deal before the race, you finished second, I'd have, I'd have just been hitting that deal button over and over again. <laughs> so I finished the race. My wife and I are still in college. We have two kids. She flew out to come see the race. And I crossed that finish line and... I had just won $15,000 for placing second in the U.S. championship. That was more money than my college brain could comprehend. And I remember Tyler Pinnell after the race saying, Jared, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with your winnings? What are you going to do with that money? And I was kind of like, I I, I don't know. I've never seen so much money. And he's like, oh, you'll probably buy diapers. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess I'll probably buy diapers. I, I probably won't buy $15,000 worth of diapers. <laughs> but I was like, you know, that was big. And then I, you know, continued to race well through the fall. And um, by January 2015, so, you know, seven months after I'd broken my leg, um, my my agent, Bob Wood, who's based here in Utah, had got me my, my first endorsement with Saucony. I'm still with Saucony. And uh, my first endorsement was Saucony uh, for for 2015. And I was, I, I don't know if you could say I was a professional runner. I was a semi-professional runner and, and pretty excited about it. What a great story. Jared, thank you so much for coming on to discuss all of this. You mentioned your marathon training right now. So where are you going to be for the people who don't know? I'm in New York this fall. And uh, I have you know, just a few more weeks to put together of training to be ready for New York. And, uh, and I'm excited, you know, I'm, I'm fit. It's been a long time since, uh, since I've had a full build into a marathon and, um, you know, we're all coming out of COVID and back to these mass races. And so I think I'm just as excited as everybody else running a fall marathon. All right. Good luck to you, my man. Thanks, Matt. All right, Maddie. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to talk to you. You are just such an awesome person and you have had so much success. You run with such great people, just an awesome, interesting person all the way around. And you have your own business. This is so exciting. There's so many positives in your running, athletic, professional life. What are you even doing here? There there can't be any (laughs) failures in your background. Oh, yeah, there's lots. There's always failures behind the scenes for everybody, I think. (laughs) All right. So when we first started talking and we brought this up, what really stuck out for you that you wanted to feature? So I think my initial response was something along the lines of imposter syndrome. Um, I know that's pretty general and like a lot of people probably have said that. Um, but I think for me, that's really been the biggest challenge, both in my running and professional career side of things. I'll tell you what, you are the first person to bring it up. This is the eighth really? interview that we've done wow. for this. And these, these are going to come out you know, every other week. So you are the first person to bring it up. So I'm excited to, di- to dive in. So awesome. let's, start, let's start at the beginning. Uh, let's see. So I didn't actually start running until my junior year of high school. I used to play soccer. 
And the reason I actually transitioned to running um, was because I felt like soccer was very political. Um, the tryouts were usually based on whose mom donated the most money and who played for what club and, you know, who knew who. And I was having a really hard time getting onto the teams I wanted to get onto or teams that I felt like I should be a part of. Um, and so that was really frustrating to me because I felt like I worked really hard. I showed up every day and there were girls who would miss practices or not try very hard who would make the top team and I didn't. And that was really hard for me. Um, and so what I found with running was if you ran fast, if you ran the time, you made the team. No one got to decide if you were making the team or not. It was all up to you. So I loved that part of running. I actually did both running and cross country at the, or sorry, cross country is running, um, cross country and soccer at the same time, my junior year of high school, which was a lot. Um, and I decided to fully make the transition to running my senior year. So it was, it was kind of, I was doing a ton of things at once. Um, but I just realized, you know, running is really to me that reflection of if I work hard, I earn this spot. So that's kind of how I started out. <laughs> Somewhere along the way, I kind of lost that mindset of I earned this, I belong here and transitioned more into the, oh my gosh, how did I get here? How, I'm not as good as these people. I don't belong on this start line. Um, I'm not really sure where that breakdown happened, but it did. <laughs> um, and I guess, well, I guess I could kind of pinpoint it. Um, when I finished running my senior year, you know, everyone was looking into running for a college. And I didn't really think about that. I didn't know if that was anything that I wanted to do. So I actually didn't really want to run in college. Um, most people don't know this, but I was actually a walk-on twice. So my freshman year, um, I was an invited walk-on. My head coach at my high school had talked to Mark Wetmore and he said, yep, she has a spot if she wants to walk on. Like it's not a scholarship spot, but she'll have a spot. So I went to practice for one week and I hated it. I was so intimidated by the team. I didn't understand the caliber of CU's cross country team. And so it was really intimidating for somebody who wasn't that much of a high school standout. I was not that great in high school. Um, and it was a very like serious, intense environment. And there was one day we had an easy run and I got dropped instantly and I got lost and I had no idea where I was. And I walked back to my dorm and I called my mom crying and I was like, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> and so I went into Heather's office and I was like, you know, I think, I think I'm done. And, um, she was like, okay, well let me know if you ever want to come back. And I was like, oh yeah, definitely. Um, uh, with zero intention of ever going back. And so I proceeded to live the rest of my freshman year as a normal person. I didn't, I don't think I ran at all for like probably close to nine months. I just didn't, didn't do any running. Um, I would go to the gym with my friends and we would kind of like mess around on the elliptical for like 20 minutes. I love how you just put gym in quotes. I love this. This is like the quote quotes. podcast, fail quotes, gym yeah. quotes. <laughs> it was a very light gym experience. I'll put it that way. Um, yeah. And so I didn't really do any like physical activity more or less my freshman year. And Again, people are always like, what brought you back to running? No idea. I just was like, you know, I kind of miss that. I miss that, like pushing myself. I kind of got that experience of like, you know, the social side of things my freshman year of college. And I realized like, I'm not really missing out on anything. It's not that great. You know, it's kind of a honestly hard way to live your life. You just never feel great. You never get enough sleep. You're never like 
hydrated. You're just living on the edge all the time. Um, and I kind of decided that wasn't something I enjoyed. And I was like, you know, I really like pushing myself. And I liked that feeling of being on a team and having something that I was working towards. Um, so that's when I was like, I called my mom and I'm like, Hey mom, I'm going to walk on again. And she was like, are you, are you sure you were, you really didn't like it. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I think I'm going to do it. So I called my high school coach. Um, and he actually helped train me over the course of the summer. Laura Thweet, who was my teammate, um, was actually the assistant coach at my high school when I called. And so she also helped me kind of train over the summer, which is really fun. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Full circle. Um, and I had emailed Mark Wetmore and, you know, he's, he's not really known for being like a warm and fuzzy person, of course. So I email him and I'm like, Hey, you know, I don't know if you remember me, but I, I kind of want to come back. Um, and he's like, run this time at the time trial in September. And then, then we'll talk. And I was like, great. He's like, okay, see you then. So I trained all summer by myself, showed up at the race, you know, with a lot of the girls who I had run with. my first year and then had never seen me again. And they're like, what are you doing here? Um, (laughs) But I, yeah, I showed up and I went for it and I actually ran, I think it was like 20 seconds faster than what Mark had wanted me to run. So I like walked up to him after the race and I was like, I did it. (laughs) And he's like, great. Come to Balch Field House on Monday at two o'clock. I was like, okay, I'm in. Now what? And so that was like, that was a very scary moment because I didn't really know what was next? And I was like, you can't quit again. Like you already quit once you can't do it again. Um, so I showed up at the field house and, you know, day one, you have to have a code to get in. And I didn't have a code and there was nobody outside. And so I just stood with my face, like pressed against the glass, knocking until someone come and let me in. And, you know, no one knows who I am. And they're like, this random girl is knocking on the door. She looks like she's here to run. What's going on? Um, yeah. So, you know, day one, I was immediately dropped again, but this time I knew where I was, so I didn't get lost. And that was kind of the story of my first year. I was really far back all the time, but I was running and I loved it and I was having a great time. And for me, having that balance of, I had a lot of friends outside of running. I think that allowed me to, um, not be as affected by feeling like I was the worst on the team because I was like, it doesn't matter. I have all these other people in my life that I can be around who know nothing about running and think it's amazing that I'm out here running anyway. So that was kind of nice. Um, but can I jump well, in there? Can I absolutely, jump in there? Please do. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's interesting, right? Cause when someone, I can imagine someone, especially, and there's so many of them in the running community, kind of like the type A OCD runners who'd be like, I can't take that mindset because my performances will fail, right? You're almost, it's almost like preempting with an excuse, right? Like idea of like, I'm not saying you did this, but I can imagine someone saying this, right? Like if I don't take it seriously and I just kind of say, hey, it doesn't matter, it's fine, then I'm not going to be the, the athlete I want to be. Um, I can just, I, I've, I've seen people act that way, even people that I've coached before that, that have talked like that because they're just coming at it in terms of like, I need to maximize, not take a laissez-faire approach. Yeah. And, and I think part of it too was I was taking it seriously, but I knew that it was important to have a life outside of running because I always had, like, like I said, when I started running, I was also playing soccer and doing all these other things. And so I've never been like a one track person. And I think for me, that's, that's been a really big advantage throughout my running career because 
I don't have all that pressure on just running. I'm not putting all of my eggs in one basket. And so if running doesn't go well, you know, that's okay. I have other things going on. I can continue to work at it and not have it affect me quite as much as if everything in my life was riding on that one thing and I didn't do what I wanted to do. It would be a lot harder for me to bounce back. All right. So I cut you off. Where, so yeah, yeah, that was the right? end of that first full year. <laughs> yeah. End of the first full year. Um, so during that year, I actually got mono and a stress reaction to my shin. Again, like being the slowest on the team, I'm sure Mark was like, what are you doing? Like, just, you know, just shut it down. This is just not going to happen for you. It's fine. He never said that, of course, but I'm sure that's what he was thinking. Um, and, you know, I worked my way back from mono. I, it took me like like three months to be able to run again. Like it was tough. So again, I took like another huge break from running, um, came back in the spring, was trying to run track. And again, this is, this is funny for me because, so uh, I don't know if I should share this or not. I'm going to, I was actually in a sorority, which people don't know. Hey, that is a, that is a well-kept secret of mine. <laughs> um, I joined it freshman year when I didn't, I didn't know anybody. I was like, Oh, I want to make some friends. Um, I was not like a diehard sorority girl or anything like that, but I had a lot of friends in my sorority and my first race in Boulder, they all came to the race to watch. And I was in like the third heat of like the Balch invite, which is, you know, just local teams in the 1500. And I ran, I think like 515 for third place in the third heat. And they, you would have thought I was running a bronze medal in the Olympics. They were cheering so loud. And Mark never said anything about it until my fifth year. We'll come back to my fifth year. But he was like, I remember when your posse came to cheer you on to your 515-1500. And then my fifth year, I ran 414. So I took like a full minute off my 1500 for reference. Um, Yeah. So started out super slow, but I was having a great time. And I actually made it on to, I got to travel to one race. Um, We went to... Mount Sac like that weekend, but I, I was at Brian Clay, which at the time was not as prestigious as it is now. Um, and same thing, I think I was in like the la- like the slow heat. I, I ran like 455 in the 1500 and I was so excited that I broke five minutes and, um, you know, like that was just so fun for me to get to travel. And that was like the highlight of my year. Um, and even though that was a really, you know, looking back, like it was one of my slower races, it was kind of the point where I was like, Ooh, I want to keep improving and I want to keep making the travel team. So, you know, fast forward, I, I continued to work really hard and every single day, you know, I would try to hang on a little bit longer for a long run or a workout. And, um, you know, I was kind of in my own workout group in the back. And then one day I got put with the next group, which was really exciting. And, you know, I hung with them and I continued to do that. And by my junior year, we had Pac-12s in Louisville, Colorado, which is where I'm from. And I got selected to be the 10th member of the Pac-12 team, which was super exciting for me. Um, And, you know, everyone had said, I thought it was like high school cross country, you know, where if you finish top seven, you're going to be on varsity for the next race. So I ran my heart out at Pac-12s. I ended up finishing seventh on the CU team, which was huge. And I was like, oh my gosh, I get to go to regionals. And I sat down in Mark and Heather's office and they were like, you know, like, we're so proud of you. That was really awesome. We're really excited to see where this goes. But like, you know, we're going to take our, our like top eight that were there before 
Pac-12s. And I was devastated. I was like crying in their office. I was so sad. Um, but that was like, I was like, you know what? I really want to work hard and, and earn that spot next year. It was really motivating for me. So I did come back and I ended up on varsity. But this is kind of where the imposter syndrome started to set in for me. Um, there were girls on the team who saw me when I was really not good. And then I started to beat them. And that was really hard for a lot of people. And so kind of that environment, I was like, oh man, like, should I be here? Like, am I good enough to be on this varsity team? Maybe they're right. Maybe I like, you know, this was a fluke. This wasn't meant to happen. So, you know, the start lines of races became this kind of like, oh, I have to look out for this person because I shouldn't be anywhere near them in a race because they're so much faster than me. And if I see them, I, I should probably slow down or, you know, just things like that where I was already kind of setting myself up for not doing my best because I was afraid of, I don't know, I don't know what I was afraid of, but I was afraid that it wouldn't pay off and it would be really disappointing. So that was kind of how all of my races went. I think, I wouldn't say that I was a head case, but I definitely got in my own way when it came to race day. I would kind of be intimidated right off the bat, seeing people's names, um, you know, specifically one person's name, Eleanor Fulton. She ran in Colorado. I grew up like racing her in high school and she was like high school phenom, amazing runner, which she still is. But um, I saw her name on in one of my heats and I was like, what? I have to race Eleanor Fulton. And, you know, even though I hadn't competed against her for like five years, I still was like, oh, I can't be up there with her. Um, and so, you know, I would kind of do that where I'd be like, I don't, I don't belong here. And Mark was like, your workouts are not translating to your races. We're missing something here. Um, and I think it took me a while to figure out that it was me getting in my own way and thinking, I don't belong here. But really, it was, why shouldn't I be here? I've put in all this work. I've seen the improvements. I've made all this progress. I belong here just as much as anybody else. Um, and so when I finally kind of leaned into that, that's when I started doing well. <laughs> so you, once you identified the problem, what did you do to fix it? I started practicing in practice. And I think runners don't utilize the idea of practice enough. Um, you know, it's more than just getting fitness so that you can race. It's also practicing your mindset for your races. And so in workouts, I was like, you can hang with these people, stay up there. And so I started practicing that and really putting myself in it. And I would be surprised, like pleasantly surprised when I would get through the whole workout with my group or, you know, even start working my way up to the front. And then sometimes even breaking away with a couple other people from the group. And so once I started doing things like that, I felt my confidence kind of growing. And I was like, you can do this in a race setting. Like, don't worry about who else is there. Um, you can you can run with whoever because you're putting in all this work and you're practicing that in practice. Um, so I think that's really what kind of helped me transition. And when you were doing that, was it um, what combination or within the range of being externally focused of like, okay, this person's with me and then going through the mental you know, gymnastics of, okay, this isn't going to affect me. This is perfectly fine. This is normal. This is where I should be versus, or I'd say, and, or the internal mechanisms of like, okay, this is what it means to push hard. This is what it means to be outside your comfort zone. Like, did you, did you have to address both of those or was there one that was more of an issue? 
I definitely had to address both because I think it was one of those things where when it starts hurting really bad, it would scare me and I would back off a little bit. So it'd be the combination of like, man, this is really hard. And then I look up and, oh, there's so-and-so. That's probably why it's so hard. I shouldn't be running up there. That's kind of what would cause me to... And I don't think I would intentionally back off, but I definitely would let myself fall back in the pack instead of like holding my position or being aggressive to fight my way up the pack. I would just kind of settle for like the second half or the back of the pack and then I'd get spit out. And, you know, when that's happening because you're stressed about it, you physically feel that response. Like it it feels like you're all out and like you're working as hard as you possibly can, but you're not really. And so I would be like, oh man, I don't think I had anything left. I couldn't have gone harder. But I think if, you know, when I did start to work on that mental side of things, I found that my body also lasted longer in the race. And I was able to like make a move versus be made a move on, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. That's, I'm, I'm always in the latter category. So that makes perfect sense to me. Um, and then once you got into that mode of all right, you started coming around, things started working in your favor, you started becoming more comfortable with all of this. Did you ever fully embrace it? And I say that under the guise of, you know, hey, shoot, Colorado Buffalo is this one of the best teams in the country every year. You are in one of the best teams in the country from one of the best teams in the country from a pro perspective right now. Obviously, I've, I'm, I have a hard time believing that's a coincidence. So what was the process by which you start tolerating these experiences to then embracing them? Yeah, so I think coming out of my senior year, my fifth year of college, I had ended up becoming an All-American in the 1500 and, you know, had really worked my way up. And then same thing kind of happened. I wasn't planning to keep running. And Mark was like, have you thought about running after college? I was like, no, not really. And he was like, well, you you should. You know, that was a really great season. And I think there's a lot left in you. So I kind of decided to pursue the post-collegiate running. But it was kind of the same thing. It felt like I was starting from where I started my sophomore year of college, where all these people had contracts or agents or deals and these really amazing teams and teammates. And I just didn't know what I was doing, you know. And so I was trying to kind of carry the momentum from college into post-collegiate world and I had no like concept of what I was doing. And so it was kind of the same thing where I started getting beat a lot in races and I was finishing at the back and I was, you know, not really performing very well. And that was really frustrating to me. And so when I joined Joe as a coach back in 2018, um, you know, my teammates at the time were, it was just like Emma and Aisha and I think Corey and Dom were there. And so, yeah, same thing. I'm like, you know, by far the slowest one on the team. And I'm like, here we go, (laughs) you know, same story over. But this time I knew that if I was working hard every day and I focused on myself and I didn't compare myself to everybody else, I knew I would see that progress because it had happened before. But it was just a matter of, you know, figuring out how to navigate that now in the post-collegiate world with less resources. Because, you know, in college you have they pay for your travel, they organize everything, you show up and you do you get all the gear. And post college, it was like, well, you got to email this meet director, you got to book your flights, you have to book your hotel, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of work. And I don't really know what I'm doing. And I don't really have the times to get into these meets. And I don't have an agent to fight for me. And um, so it was definitely a different type of challenging in that sense. But I think that mindset of, you know, like, 
oh, do I belong on this line was kind of coming back a little bit. And I would honestly say it was only really this past year that I feel like I fully broke free from that. Um, And again, it was just that idea of showing up every day. Joe was really, really working on that with me in practice. Like, get up there. You belong up there. Hang on. No gaps. You know, you can do this. And when I started doing it, I was like, oh, I can do this. And then in races, I was like, you can do this. And that's when it started clicking. And when I kind of let go of that idea of here's where I probably am going to finish, here's who's probably going to beat me, I started beating big names and I started finishing high up and my PR dropped 30 seconds this year. And, you know, I saw really huge improvements. And so I think I can, I feel like I can confidently say now that mindset is behind me, but it took like eight years really to overcome that. So (laughs) it's been a long process. (laughs) Right. And it's interesting because so often people, and by people, I mean me and hopefully other people as well, um, tend to adopt like a, a frame of mind or a reference point for where they fit into social situations or hierarchies. And it almost kind of always comes back to our formative years. And we kind of make that as like our default location. And then kind of like until proven otherwise, then we move up or down or um, whether it's a social or athletic uh, lifestyle. And when you talk about, you know, team boss and where you are now, you make it pretty clear that, you know, from a chicken and egg perspective, it didn't start happening in, for you in races until it was happening for you in practice. Yeah. And, you know, a big part of that, too, was seeing my teammates really, I guess I've always, I've come from kind of like a very modest family where like, you know, we don't really like talk a lot about ourselves and we don't like brag about our accomplishments or say like, I am a very good runner. Like, that's not really something I would say. Like if someone says to me, you're a really good runner, I'm like, oh no, you're great too. (laughs) You know, like one of those responses, it's, it's not something I'm used to. And so hearing my teammates be like, I am one of the best runners in the U S I'm going to make this team. I'm going to do this. I was like, whoa, that's really, you know, straightforward. But then I was like, why shouldn't you say things like that? You know, why can't you put your goals out there for everybody to hear and to hold yourself accountable and dream big, but not be afraid to share that with other people? And so when they, when I started like embracing that kind of mindset, like I'm working hard, I'm going to make the Olympic trials this year, I'm going to run the standard. When I changed it from I want to, to I'm going to, I did. And, you know, that was really the the shift for me where in practice, I was like, if I'm going to make this happen, I have to hang on in this workout and I have to stay up there and I have to be tough. And when I started being able to do that, I was like, this is going to happen. You can do this in a race. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great story because so many of us dedicated amateur runners, you know, like we're in the middle of the pack in a lot of ways, whether we are or not, we kind of feel that way. And it's so either so many people that we can look up to be like, oh, if only I was that fast, well, then I wouldn't experience this. Or if I was this fast, and it seems like the, the goalposts keep getting moved. And I feel like you experienced that, right? Like all of a sudden, all right, I'm an All-American, right? I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in Colorado doing great things. And yet then you join the pro team. It's like, oh, back to the, the starting line. And it's so interesting to hear someone of your capabilities and experiences going through something that I know people who are listening to this have felt so many times. Yeah, it's definitely, like I said, been a process to overcome it. But 
Um, I think, you know, like I said, with my business too, sometimes I feel that way where I'm like, oh, like what gives me the right to like start this business and do all these things. But I'm like, no, I went to school for eight years. I worked so hard to earn this degree and this license. Like I am just as qualified and maybe even more so because of my running background, like I can do this. And so I think that shift in mindset has not only helped me see massive improvements in my races this year, but also in my business growth and personal life. I just feel more confident feeling like I belong and I've earned this spot and, you know, why not me kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's nice to feel like I finally have gotten there. Um, but yeah, I would say to anyone who's still struggling with it, um, you know, just challenge that every time you have that little voice pop up in your head that says, oh, you don't belong here, you shouldn't be here, challenge it and say, no, here, here's why I belong here. Like with my workouts, going into races, I would be like, you crushed this, this, and this workout. You ran this, this, and this times at, you know, 8,000 feet. You can do this. And with my business, I'm like, no, you did all this work. You, you did all these hours of training and all this stuff. Like, you belong here. So, yeah, just just challenge that and don't let it become the narrative of your life. So well said. So well said, Manny. This is great. All right. Everyone who's listening to this knows you as one of the best runners in the country. They may not know you as a businesswoman. So what is your business before we get going? Yeah, my business is Fueling Forward. It's like a sports nutrition consulting business. There you go. And who better than to learn from than one of the best runners in the country who also, as you said, have been studying this for a very long time. So thank you so much for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Jared and Maddie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh my goodness, such a blast talking to both of these individuals. They are just not only the cream of the crop as athletes, but also as people. I, I just can't say enough about both of these folks. That is for sure. Also, big shout out to Inside Tracker. Go to insidetracker.com today forward slash rambling runner. Save 25% on all of your orders. It's going to be so worth it. You're going to save a ton of money and you're going to be a better athlete because of it. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.